Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Well, as I told you today, or I told you earlier in the week, we start a new series today. Would you turn with me to the book of Philippians? My plan is to go through the book of Philippians. I um, invite you to follow along in the same text that I use, which is the New King James Version. I also encourage you, are you listening? If you haven't already, you may want to put on your iPhone, your iPad, an app called Bible Gateway. Bible Gateway. It is the best tool that I know. It will give you any translation of the Bible that you want. It will give you the original meaning of the original language if you want to go that far in your study. Hebrew for the Old Testament, Greek for the New. It will give you all kinds of study material. It will take you to thematic studies, any kind of information you want about Bible study, you can find in that one out, Bible Gateway. I highly recommend it to you. So whether or not you're following along today on an iPhone, an iPad, or like your old pastor with the book, Philippians chapter 1. Would you say this out loud with me? The Bible is the Word of God. It is full of life and full of power. I submit myself to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Mighty God, use this teacher to show me what I need to know. Speak to him and through him. But I give you all the praise for what you teach me by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Philippians. Philippi was a city in a region or a colony called Macedonia, which is modern day Greece. And along about 49 to 51 AD, the Apostle Paul with a gentleman named Silas and a physician named Luke who also wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were traveling, spreading the Gospel in new areas. Ten years later, Paul had been imprisoned for the first time. Now, he would eventually be imprisoned again, and around 68 A.D. was executed by the Roman Emperor Nero. But at this particular time, there was not that much animosity in the Roman colonies towards the gospel. The animosity was born 
from those who were in traditional Judaism who believed that Jesus Christ was not the Messiah and that their order was being threatened by the presentation of, an, of a Messiah named Jesus. So in around 59 to 61 A.D., 10 years after he had visited the city of Philippi and established the church, Paul, in his first Roman imprisonment, writes back to the church of Philippi, and he identifies himself, Paul and Timothy. You know what you could read that as? Father and son. Bondservants of Jesus Christ. Understand that a bondservant was different than a slave. A bondservant was a slave who had been set free, who decided of his own volition to submit himself back to the master and serve the master although he was free not to. There was no legal obligation. It was a choice that that former slave made. So no longer was he a slave, he became a bondservant. Somebody who chose to serve, not out of legality, but out of will. Jesus has set us free, and it is our honor to voluntarily submit to him as our master. Not out of coercion, but out of desire to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Do you know what a saint is in the New Testament? You see the word saint over and over again, and some people believe that a saint is somebody who has reached a level of holiness that they are recognized as way out of the ordinary and are given, some people even pray to saints. But you know, the Bible says there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. A saint in the New Testament literally means a true believer. Somebody who is set apart as one of God's children. It doesn't mean somebody who's so elite that none of the rest of us can relate to them. A true believer. Everybody say it with me. According to the Bible, I am a saint because I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now the word bishop there is the word episkopos in the Greek. It means literally overseer. It is sometimes translated elder. Sometimes translated bishop. In our modern usage, we tend to think of a bishop as somebody who oversees overseers. Many years ago, having recognized that God had placed me in a position of spiritually overseeing other ministers, I was ordained by a bishop in the faith as a bishop. And it was real. I have the heart of a bishop now. I go before God every single day on behalf of those 
who are in ministry that God has connected me with, for whom I have the responsibility and honor of being spiritual covering. A bishop, an overseer, an elder is someone who has spiritual oversight responsibilities in the body of Christ. Now some of you are spiritual elders. You have met the qualifications that are listed in in 1 Timothy and in Titus. And you have the responsibility, the recognition and the responsibility that you are to minister to people in the body of Christ. Primarily an elder, a bishop, an overseer, is to minister to the spiritual needs, that is through prayer, through exhortation, which means spiritual encouragement. It also means through the way you conduct yourself, you're an example to the flock. The deacons, on the other hand, if you look at how deacons got here in Acts 7, deacons have the primary responsibility of ministering to the physical, material, and administrative needs of a body of Christ. So you've got elders who minister to the spiritual needs and deacons who minister to the physical, administrative, and material needs. And so the, the, the author, Paul writes and he says, I am addressing this not only to everybody in the church saved by the grace of God, but I also want you to know that I'm recognizing that there are those with spiritual responsibility. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you something? Do you remember what the word grace means? Charis in the Greek. C-H-A-R-I-S. It means the supernatural favor of God. It is by grace you were saved. God saw you and favored you. It was not something you did to perform and to get worthy to be received. It is something He did. He saw you and loved you and chose you and gave you His grace that you had to receive as a gift. Grace to you and peace. Well, here's a question for you. You ever thought about this? Here's a question for you. Can grace and peace travel through the vehicle of a blessing from somebody else? Well, if it can't, why would Paul have said it? The biblical truth is that the favor of God and the peace of God can actually be transferred through a human being. Here's a question for you. Are you speaking grace and peace to those that God has put in your midst? Are you speaking the favor and the ability of God, His grace, and the peace of God over your workplace? Do you speak grace and peace over that business that God has given you? Over that classroom that God has granted you? Over those children and families? Over that practice? Has God given, do you speak grace and peace over those He's given you to minister to? Grace and peace can be transferred from one vehicle to another. 
There is a receiver and there is a transferee. I don't know about that. We'll try it. Grace and peace. Okay, now, turn back to the left with me to Acts chapter 16 because now that he's addressed the church, we're going to have to find out what happened in the church. How did this happen? He's addressing the Philippian Christians how did this church come to be? How many of you know if man gets together and decides that they ought to just start a church and do things the way that they want to, it doesn't have the anointing of God on it? How many of you know if God doesn't start it, it's not going anywhere? Now you can get to a certain level of success on the outside just through organization and promotion. But you're not going to get to a spiritual level of any good unless God originates it and does it. Acts 16. Then he, Paul, came to Derby and Lystra and behold a certain disciple there was there named Timothy. How many of you know that sometimes just as you go along your journey, God is going to raise up sons and daughters for you that you didn't know were coming until you met them. He was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. They had an interracial marriage because the Jews and the Greeks were looked on as totally separate. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him, that is Timothy, go on with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. Why did he do that? Because there were certain things that people couldn't get past. And Paul didn't want anything to keep somebody from hearing what he was trying to say, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you something sort of frivolous and silly here. Do you know, and don't use your imagination on this one, but, you know, Jeff, if I were to stand up here next Sunday, and if I were to wear a tank top and, a, and Speedos and uh, some uh, flip-flops, I could preach the same message, but you couldn't get past what you were seeing to get to what I was saying. You don't have to say too many amens. I, I see you know what you're saying. <laughs> I just decided to throw that in. <laughs> no comments from the sisterhood now. What Paul was saying here is, we're going to do this so that we don't cause such a problem that nobody that we're trying to reach can hear our message. They went through the cities. Verse 5 says, The churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Would to God that the church of Jesus would start increasing daily. The body of Christ. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia. Now look, look carefully at verse 6. 
when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. What a verse. They were so full of, what did you just read? The churches were growing daily. They were so full of fire that all they wanted to do was to tell the story of Jesus. And so they were going to Asia, not the continent of Asia. There was a province in the Roman Empire named Asia. They were going into that province, that area, that state, if you will, to preach the gospel. They were so much on fire. But the Holy Spirit said, no. No. Well, they recovered from that, verse 7, and after they had come to another, they said, well, we can, the Holy Spirit says, no, we'll go somewhere else. So they had come to Missium, verse 7, and they tried, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. Wait a minute now. These guys were evangelizing. They were preaching. God was adding to the church. They were experiencing mighty, mighty, mega results. But the Holy Spirit said, don't go there. Don't do that. Okay, well, we'll go here. No, not here either. How many of you can say, boy, I can identify with that. I felt like I was obeying God. I felt like I was hearing God. I felt like I was doing what the Lord told me to do. And the Holy Spirit shut down my agenda. Anybody besides me ever been there? It's confusing, isn't it? It's frustrating, isn't it? No, y'all are just too spiritual. It never frustrates you. It frustrates me. It confuses me. There you have it. So what did they do? They didn't get it. Why are you shutting this down? Why are you saying no? Something good. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, verse, eight, uh, verse 9, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the God. Who's us? Paul, Silas, Luke, and now Timothy. Everybody know who us is in this passage? Sometimes God will put up a roadblock. And if you decide that you're going to go through the roadblock anyway, you will not find the results that you are hoping to experience. They just won't be there. You ever tried that in your business? Well, I'm just going to do what I do and what I've always done and I don't know about you, but sometimes when we have a certain level of success combined with a certain level of comfort, we just say, I know how to do this. I'll just do what I've always done. How many of you know sometimes the Holy Spirit is trying to say, you're not going to do what you've always done. I've got another assignment for you. 
And it will cause you confusion sometimes and frustration. But notice what Paul and his companions did. They just took the next right step. They just kept moving. How many of you know that God doesn't steer a stationary bike? Sailing from Troas, verse 11, they ran a straight course and the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, a prolonged stay. Now notice on the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went out to the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. How many of you know that if you're walking by the Spirit of God, prayer is a magnet to you? And when you find out where prayer is going, you recognize and you're drawn to prayer. Notice they weren't in the synagogue. They were going out where prayer was being done. And notice they sat down and spoke to the women who met there. It was a women's prayer group. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her, hus her household, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now several observations here. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go do a major evangelistic crusade. He led them to a little riverside to meet up with a businesswoman. She was running a business. She sold fabric. And the Holy Spirit said, your appointment is with this woman. And notice what happened. The Lord opened her heart to believe. The Lord opened her heart. Do you know... The greatest thing, in my opinion, you can ever do when you're praying for somebody who's lost is to pray that prayer right there over them. Father, open the heart of... Fill in the blank as you opened the heart of Lydia. Open the heart of Linda. Open the heart of Jim. Open the heart like you opened Lydia's heart. The greatest evangelistic work is done through prayer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to prepare and open the heart. Jesus said no one can even come to the Father. No one can believe unless the Spirit draws them. It is the Spirit that prepares and opens the heart. You can preach, you can teach, you can cajole, you can try to do everything you can to help them to get it. But the Lord has to open the heart. And I want to tell you, it is labor in prayer when you're praying for God to open somebody's heart. It is labor. But it is the Spirit of God who does it. And notice this about Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She was seeking the Lord. The Lord opened her heart. Notice verse 15. She told her household. She told everybody in her family. 
what had happened to her about her relationship with Jesus now and she was baptized symbolizing the fact that she had made her decision to follow Jesus and then she begged us that is all four of them saying stay here with my family come in here to this house she wanted more fellowship she wanted more teaching she was hungry and she must have had a pretty big house she had herself her household and now four guests so it wasn't a shack I don't know what that has to do with anything, but uh, there's a bunch of people in there. Now notice, Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy are beginning to understand that when the Lord closed the door, he was giving them another assignment. Do you understand that sometimes when you don't get it and you're confused and things are going great for you, but then you've got to go from big to small. You've got to go from big groups to individuals and small groups. Do you understand that it, the most important thing for you in God's eyes is are you obedient to your assignment, not what kind of crowd can you draw? Have you read the New Testament? Did you know that in the early days of Jesus' ministry, he was followed by multitudes, but in the latter stages of Jesus' ministry, the crowd got smaller and smaller. The word says they all forsook him and left. So success is not, success, God's idea of success is not in volume, but in obedience. Well, notice what happened next. Is that happened? As we went to prayer, boy, they invested in prayer, didn't they? A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, that is the ability to see certain things that hadn't happened yet, met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Slavery existed in that culture, and there was a young girl who was owned by these cruel masters empowered by their own greed and notice that she had a spirit of divination notice that she was a fortune teller like that people would come and pay money which her masters got for her to be able to tell them certain things they wanted to hear you say pastor how'd she get that power It was demonic. Now listen, are you listening now? Demons and even the devil himself are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They are limited. They're just angels. But understand that they live and operate in such a realm to where they oversee. They have a lot of information. They have a lot of information. And all of us having such an innate desire to know the future can be deceived easily by those who seem to have information and will seem to tell you what you want to hear. She was empowered by a spirit being. Let's go on and we'll get more clues. She did this, verse 17, 
The girl followed Paul and us, and she cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Pastor, that sounds like she's telling them the truth. How many of you know that God doesn't need the devil to do his advertising? Happened to Jesus, remember? Remember the demoniac who kept saying, This is the Son of God! This is the Son of God! And Jesus said, You keep your mouth shut and come out of it. Pastor, are there really active demons? Well, I don't see anywhere in the book where it says they went away. In fact, Jesus said right before he left, these signs shall follow those who believe in me. They shall cast out demons. Boy, you're getting weird now. No, I'm telling you what Jesus said out of his own mouth. This she did for many days. But Paul, verse 18, greatly annoyed. I mean, you're trying to minister, you're trying to pray, and along comes this girl doing all this. Oh, these are servants of the Most High. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. Paul was greatly annoyed. He turned and said to the Spirit, that is the Spirit who had possessed her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, the Spirit, came out of her that very hour. Hmm. Can a demonic spirit actually live on the inside of a human being? You can't believe the New Testament if you don't believe that. I mean, Jesus, the apostles, and the ability of the saints cast out spirits by the authority of the name of Jesus. Not through some magic hocus-pocus or not through some special guy that has a hotel and a TV show, but through the name of Jesus. Some of you understand what I'm saying. A demonic spirit can actually indwell a human being. But now understand that sometimes a person is totally controlled, possessed. There is an indwelling spirit that is inside a person's spiritual being. That usually comes through invitation. It can also come through neglect. And put it to you like this. I probably wouldn't willfully invite somebody to come in and rob my house while I'm trying to minister to you today. But if I leave all my doors and windows open, I can through neglect give them an opportunity to do what is not my intent, yes or no. So if I play around with drugs and if I play around with pornography and if I play around with all kind of things, I can open the door and invite demonic spirits to come in and actually take possession of spiritual ground on the inside of me. Even if I don't personally issue the invitation, 
Through neglect, I have opened the doors. Does everybody understand that? It is also true that there is a level that most of us as believers experience that is not demonic possession. It is demonic oppression. For whatever reason, we are just plagued with fearful thoughts. For whatever reason, we just feel anxious all the time. For whatever reason, we just are struggling with wanting to do harm to that one who did harm to us. We want them to pay. All kinds of things that just keep us from walking under the control and direction and power of the Holy Spirit. It's oppressing. And it leads to all kinds of mental and emotional issues. What do you, what do you mean by that? Sometimes demonic spirits that have not that have been allowed ground, that through our will, through our negligence, through our thoughts, through what we say or do, although we have not been possessed by a demon, we can be oppressed by demons in the area of our mind and our emotions. So that we just can't seem to get peace. Do two things. Ask the Lord to help you and give you grace to do two things. Number one, close the door. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where it is that you have allowed these, this oppression to go or to be continued. Lord, have I dwelt on the things that are directly in line with fear? Have I, ha, have I opened the door to that which is a forecast of my destruction? Am I thinking it? Am I speaking it? Am I absorbed with it? Whatever it is, ask the Lord to show you and close the door. How do you do that? You say, you know what? I am not going to put up with this oppression anymore. It is not what I want. I am a reborn spiritual woman or man of God. I refuse to walk under oppression. And in the name of Jesus... I stop, I demand that the open door cease and desist. I am resolved not to allow that to go on anymore. See, until you take your authority as a believer, a, de a demon will just sit in your living room. Why leave? Close the door. Second, issue the command. I want to tell you all something, some of you are not going to like this. You don't have to go to all these conferences on spiritual warfare. You don't have to order all these books and tapes. Just look in the book, honey. See what Jesus did and see what anybody else in there did and see what the promises are. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those who believe in me. They will cast out demons. So just take your stand. You are just as much a child of God as the most prominent evangelist in the world. You have every right and privileges, privilege as anybody on the face of the earth. 
You are God's daughter. You are God's son. You you are not spiritually in any way diminished from anybody else. You stand up in who you are, and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I demand this oppressing spirit to be gone from me. I won't receive this anymore. Pastor, why would you need to issue a command? Because demons are not omniscient. They don't necessarily know what you're thinking, but they can hear what you're speaking. Every single time we see in the New Testament a deliverance, a command was issued in the name that is under the authority of Jesus Christ. Every single time it was under the authority of Jesus Christ through a command that there was release. Pastor, you're getting on out there. No, I've been out there. That is what the Word says. Spirit came out of this young lady. Everybody that owned her, the people who were making money off of her were just infuriated. Verse 22 says, the multitude rose up together against them. The legal authorities tore their clothes off and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now hold on just a minute here, Pastor. Are you telling me that they were having a great crusade? They were winning people right and left. The church was being added to every day, and the Lord wouldn't let them do that anymore. He led them to go see a businesswoman. He led them to go deliver a young slave girl that had nothing to eat, that she didn't look like them. They went and delivered her, and then God allowed God, who knew what was going to happen, allowed them to be beaten and put in stocks in her prison. Did you know that sometimes the assignment God gives you is difficult and painful? And sometimes the assignment God gives you is not the rah-rah, everybody's coming to Jesus, it is the one-on-one, and sometimes you suffer for it. If they hadn't been obedient, they wouldn't have suffered like that. Notice what happened at midnight, verse 25. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, thought everybody had left and drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because in that culture, if a jailer allowed the, the, his crew to go free, he was killed by the Roman authorities. Paul rushed in at the the last minute with a loud voice and said in verse 28, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He called for a light, he rushed in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in the house and took them that night 
he washed their stripes and immediately he and all the family were baptized and added to the church. Can I tell you something? God has an agenda for your disappointment. God has an agenda for your frustration. God has an agenda for your suffering. There is a higher calling when there is what looks like a lower opportunity. There is a higher calling. He is at work to do something that is way beyond anything you could ever dream or imagine. Do you know that the Philippian church grew from Lydia and her household and now a little slave girl to a jailer in his household and out of that little nucleus there grew and developed a church in Philippi that shook the Roman Empire Paul even said, I don't have anybody in my whole ministry of like mind and of like heart as you are. So whatever you're going through, I want you to know that it may look like God has closed the door, but there are divine roadblocks sometimes because of timing. Did you know that Paul eventually came back to where he wasn't allowed at first? Did you know that he eventually came back to where the Spirit told him he couldn't go. Can I, are y'all listening to me? Some of you have been shut down by the Spirit of God in your business or whatever it is. The Holy Spirit has not per permitted you to do certain things that you thought were the very next thing to do. You hadn't read the end of the book yet. God will probably bring you back to that place that you can't go right now. It's all about timing sometimes. Sometimes God has a different assignment that will change lives and do mighty things that you don't know about. And sometimes you need to understand that what you are going down this road for when the Spirit doesn't permit you to do, do certain things, sometimes the Lord has people to bring into your life that He wants you to use you to mentor and father and mother and bless and walk with. I believe that the Lord of the church wanted Timothy who had just joined up with Paul and Silas and Luke to find out what it was really like to be a disciple. You can have the biggest crowds you can ever want. You can promote and you can entertain and you can have all kind of people want to show up. But when they really start finding out what it's really like to be a disciple, don't be surprised if your crowd narrows. Timothy. What was Timothy learning, Pastor? He was learning, I believe, that Timothy and Luke, after Paul and Silas were put in jail and had the prayer meeting. By the way, this really gets to me. When I'm really going through suffering, is the first thing I do get in praise and prayer. I got to confess to you, that's not often the first thing I choose to do. Praise and prayer. How many of you know that sometimes when you're suffering, it's through your praise and through your prayer that God does the mighty and the miraculous. That's the door that opens the opportunity for miracles, praise and prayer. So when you're incarcerated by your circumstances, why don't we all just decide I'm going to go to praise and prayer? 
I personally believe that Timothy and Luke went back to Lydia's house and had a prayer meeting while Paul and Silas were in jail. He was learning. Did you know that in the end, Timothy became the pastor of the largest, most powerful, most effective church, arguably in the whole Roman Empire, the church at Ephesus? Timothy. Are you investing in somebody? Are you investing in somebody? When you're suffering, are you investing in somebody who is just watching to see how you're going to handle this? I guarantee you, you are. You just don't know it. Well, I got to stop. I got to tell you, I could just go on and on and on. Can I tell you all something? Everybody stand. I want you to get that course ready, Jeff. He who began a good work. Ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God is the anchor. It's what we stand on here. We know as long as I'm the pastor, we don't do without the Word of God. It is central and foremost. Amen? Let's ask God to open our hearts to give us greater understanding of that Word. Let's all sing this song together. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Don't say you, say me. He who began a good work in me He who began a good work in me to complete it he who started the work will be faithful to complete it in me one more time You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.